You're listening to Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun, a Utah Lake Commission podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun podcast. My name is Sam Brager, Outreach Coordinator for the Utah Lake Commission and your podcast host. In today's episode, we are hitting on a topic that I have long wanted to cover on this podcast because it's one that we get a lot of questions about here at Utah Lake Commission, as well as a lot of our partners. And that is the topic of algae blooms. So today's episode is the truth about algae at Utah Lake. And who could be better to speak to this than Kate Fikes herself? And Kate, you're with Department of Environmental Quality, right? That's right. Yeah. Please introduce yourself to everybody. Help them understand why you're speaking with us about algae blooms today. Yeah, Sam, thanks for having me. Thanks for the commission for having me. I'm a, I'm a geospatial aquatic ecologist at the Division of Water Quality within Utah DEQ. Uh, I spent a lot of my time, my graduate work, uh, researching aquatic ecosystems and monitoring them over time. So now I run both recreational programs that we have, harmful algal blooms and waterborne pathogens, to make sure that people can really enjoy Utah Lake and all of the fabulous lakes and reservoirs that we have across the state safely during the summer. Thanks, Kate, for summarizing. That's a great way of putting it. I think a lot of people forget the amount of work that goes into protecting these water bodies so that they are available for public use. So thank you for your part in that service. Uh, let's let's start our conversation off, if you would, Kate, on kind of the basics about algae blooms. You know, listeners might not be very well informed about it. I know it's definitely been a steep learning curve for me as well. So if you could help, one of the main questions we get is, are algae blooms a Utah Lake-specific issue, or do they happen other places too? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think the first thing I'll do is distinguish what an algal bloom is versus what a cyanobacteria bloom is. So a cyanobacteria bloom is what we call harmful algal blooms. Uh, And that's different than the normal algae you might see growing in your backyard pond or along the river or a little bit of moss on the rocks. Cyanobacteria themselves uh, can produce toxins. And that's why we're so worried about them. Uh, and it's not just a Utah Lake issue. Cyanobacteria have been around for a really long time. And at this point, we think they're found in every single water body on Earth. And that includes Antarctica, uh, where there's no nutrients that you might think of. Um, they just exist happily there. So it's certainly not a Utah Lake only issue. It's not a Utah State specific issue. Uh, it's something that all water bodies deal with just to varying degrees. Gotcha. And you said something that I think it was really important we flag. My question was going to be, are all algae blooms harmful? But you mentioned it sounds like they're not all harmful, right? Yeah, that's right. So we have algal blooms that produce toxins um, and ones that don't. And so we, again, we distinguish between cyanobacteria and regular green algae. So mostly we're talking about cyanobacteria here and not all cyanobacteria produce toxins. The ones that do produce toxins, we call toxigenic cyanobacteria. And that's what we monitor and what we call harmful algal blooms. And that's what we're really worried about here in Utah Lake. Gotcha. So those are the ones we're watching for. So are there certain conditions that favor those kinds of blooms? Cyanobacteria really like uh, calm days. They don't like wind. They like sunny, warm days. A lot of us do in the summer. Uh, And then, you know, we usually think of nutrients as a a really good thing. Nutrients are what help us grow as people um, from infancy to adulthood. But cyanobacteria themselves also really like nutrients to grow. So when we have uh, really warm, calm, sunny days and some nutrient input into the lake, that's when we tend to get harmful algal blooms. 
Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I, I got to admit when you're saying they like those warm, sunny days, you kind of reminded me of that line from uh, what's that movie? Miss Congeniality. When I was a kid, <laughs> that, uh, right. they the asked her, what's date. the perfect date? And she's like, April 27th or something. Cause it's not too hot and not too cold. That's right. That's how algae blooms like it too. They, yeah. The Goldilocks, <laughs> the Goldilocks spot. Okay. So now for people who are visiting the lake, you know, I'd love to share more information about how they can stay informed when there are blooms or if there are blooms on the lake. So is Utah Lake monitored? It sounded like you, you mentioned, can you tell us more about that monitoring, what that looks like? Yeah. So DWQ has been monitoring Utah Lake uh, on and off, but mostly uh, really consistently for the past four or five years. Uh, that means that we take several types of field data as well as uh, remote sensing data, so data from satellites to monitor what's going on at the lake on any given hour, any given day, and then the week. Um, so we take a suite of field data that includes monitoring for what critters are in the water. So again, we're not necessarily worried about regular green algae. It might be green, uh, but we take a sample to make sure that we're distinguishing between green algae and that harmful algal bloom material. Uh, we send that to a fabulous uh, lab in Michigan and they get back to us really quickly to let us know whether or not the, the green stuff in the water is toxic or not. And then once we find out if it is toxic, we are able to collect a sample and send that out to tell us how toxic. Uh, so we're monitoring for several different types of toxins that range from liver, GI and neurotoxins. and our, our biggest concern is always neurotoxins, but the other toxins can still make recreators really sick. Uh, so at any given time, we're hoping to know the condition on the lake in terms of how, if there is a harmful algal bloom, if the algal bloom is toxic um, throughout the summer. So we monitor from May all the way through October. And then sometimes we even go into December because despite li liking warm and sunny days, the cyanobacteria can um, hang out in the snow too. As you mentioned, it can vary across the summer and you're, you're watching all summer. Oftentimes, something that we hear from people is they think once the bloom happens, the lake's just a write-off. You can't go back there, right? So help, help people understand what is that process like once a bloom is noted? Is it immediately you can't touch the water ever? I mean, some people think that the lake you can't touch it ever anyway, and we're working yeah. on those issues. We're trying to straighten those out. But what does that happen from day one when a bloom happens? Could they get back in the water at some point? Absolutely. Utah Lake is one of the most dynamic lakes that we have in the state. So we're able to be out there every week, sometimes a little bit more frequently. Uh, we're monitoring the lake. So once a lake, once the lake has a bloom uh, and the local health department uh, makes a decision whether or not to put the water body on an advisory, DWQ really steps in to make sure that we're doing a really detailed job monitoring the lake. Uh, so that means that there could be a bloom in one part of the lake and the rest of the lake could be totally fine. Uh, so we take samples at all the marinas. We do a lot of open water sampling. We have buoys that tell me how much chlorophyll um, and other pigments are in the water to let, to let me know kind of the magnitude of the bloom at any given time. So we update our website, that's habs.utah.gov, whenever we get new information, whenever we get new data, so that recreators don't feel like, you know, the Utah Lake goes on advisory or we spot a bloom in June and they have to write it off through the entire recreation season. Our goal is to make sure that the public can utilize the lake as safely as possible for as long as possible. We want to make sure that we just want to make sure that they're safe while doing it. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Kate. And if I remember correctly from your 
your, I don't know if it's procedures or policies or whatever it may be. Isn't it, is it two weeks consecutively that an area needs to get under back in safe levels, right? And then it can be removed again? Yeah, that's exactly right. We we monitor okay. weekly uh, and then two clean weeks, both of toxins and then that toxigenic cyanobacteria material. So how much harmful algal bloom is in there? We have specific thresholds that we use that are guided by the EPA and other peer-reviewed literature that tell us uh, when it when it's safe to get back in the water. Awesome. That's great. And I love that you mentioned the habs.utah.gov website. It's a great resource. We love sending people to that. And we'll make sure we include that in the podcast show notes so that people, if they're listening, can just scroll right down, click on it and check out what the status is. Um, and that'll be great for when there is a bloom, I should say, well, I wish I could say if, but you know, when is probably a more realistic yeah, term. Um, but when there is a bloom, they can be checking that and they can know, you know, if it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, whatever it may be, they can know so that they can get back out there and have fun. So thank you for that. If the lake isn't closed, but an advisory is in place, what should lake users avoid doing while they're visiting the lake? So DWQ, along with Utah Department of Health epidemiologists, came up with a three-tiered warning and advisory system to make sure that users have dynamic use of the lake. Uh, So we have at the very bottom, we have a health watch, which means that the local health department has not advised that uh, users need to even stay out of the water. They can keep swimming in the water, but they should keep an eye out to make sure that they don't see harmful algal bloom material. Then we have a warning advisory, uh, and that really asks recreators to keep an eye out for harmful algal blooms. And then the biggest thing that we're worried about is uh, folks ingesting water or fully immersing themselves. So uh, although I don't like to admit it, if I'm paddleboarding, I'm likely to fall all the way in and dunking my head. So if there's a marina on advisory or the open waters on advisory, um, I'm probably not going to go paddleboarding. I might choose kayaking instead. Um, and then we have, you know, a, a the danger advisory and danger advisory can mean a lot of different things, but typically we ask recreators to stay completely away from the water. In Utah Lake, uh, the mariners are often still open to boat traffic because you're not coming into contact with the water that way. But we do ask that folks stay out of the water because we're concerned that those toxins can, uh, you know, if you're falling or swimming or splashing around, you can ingest them, you can swallow them. Um, if you get them on your hands, you might then go to your picnic, um, and you could ingest them that way as well. So there's, you know, at habs.utah.gov, we have our, our full advisory tiered system out so that, uh, when there's a warning advisory, a danger advisory or health watch recreators can know specifically what DWQ and Utah department of health recommends they do when they recreate in the water. Awesome. And, and while they're out there, what are maybe some of the signs that they could watch for? Because like you said, they could be in one area that's just fine. And then they start getting kind of close to an area that might have an advisory or may not yet. What are they looking for to make sure they're staying safe? Yeah, that's a great point. Habs have a very distinct green color. Uh, so they can look like a lot of different things though. So we can have grass clippings. It, it literally looks like somebody took their lawnmower bag and dumped it in the water. Uh, and then we also have spilled paint. Again, it looks like somebody was doing a, a funky paint job on their car and then just decided to spill their blue and green paint into the water. It's really oily and uh, it can be kind of beautiful if it wasn't so toxic. Uh, and then we also have globules. So those look like little green pom-poms. Um, again, might be tempting to play with, but we ask that you stay away from those. And then generally the water can just have a, a green hue to it. And it's one of those things where 
as cavemen, we probably understood that you shouldn't jump in that green, crusty water. We still have that same response nowadays. A lot of people say, maybe not, maybe not today. Uh, but otherwise, if those signs are clear, we just, you know, we ask that you check the conditions at, at our website, um, use your eyes, and if, if it looks clear, then um, enjoy and recreate safely. And I, I like that you say, you know, conditions can change. And one of the, the things about Utah Lake is because of its environmental and landscape context, it's shallow, um, it mixes a lot, the wind can shoot down uh, Utah Valley, um, and a lot of the canyons that are that are adjacent to the lake. So the wind can whip up and truly the algal bloom can start out at the north end of the lake and end the day at the south end of the lake. So we really do ask that users just keep an eye out for safety. I would add, I think I've seen on the haves.utah.gov website, there are actually pictures of what they can look for, right? Yeah, we have a fabulous uh, photo gallery, um, potentially the world's worst photo gallery. I don't know. <laughs> the, best, <laughs> the best photo gallery. Very informative toxic, gallery, toxic right? Junk, <laughs> uh, toxic junk, where um, it has all those characteristics that I just uh, mentioned, like the grass clipping, the spilled paint. Um, and then the the nice thing is we also have uh, Utah Lake specific. So uh, grass clipping in Utah Lake may look different than a grass clipping in Yuba Lake, for example. So we have uh, specific photos up there for what a grass clipping in Utah Lake might look like. And it's also, it's another good time to mention that um, I say that Habs have a typical green appearance, but last year we actually had a new species of harmful algal bloom pop up called Planktothrix, uh, and it was red. Uh, and they often see these red harmful algal blooms. Um, sometimes they're not even harmful, just the algal blooms in the Gulf of Mexico or in the Atlantic Ocean and called the red tide. Um, we actually had that species pop up in Utah Lake. So really your best bet is to check our website to know conditions because green usually means toxic, but not always. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on with us today. We really appreciate all you've been sharing with everybody. And, and we love that there's an online resource, habs.utah.gov. We're, we're going to say that over and over again until people <laughs> just memorize it. Um, but another question I kind of want to hit on it as our closing here is a lot of people think nothing's being done, um, especially when it comes to Utah Lake, but other lakes too. They think it's just a write-off or maybe there isn't something to be done. So I know that there are some major projects that are out there right now that are really centered on reducing the likelihood of blooms like this in the future. Uh, can you maybe share some details on what you're aware of with uh, listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I talked a lot about earlier the concept that uh, harmful algal blooms really like nutrients. And we know that from studies around the world, uh, that nutrients and warming temperatures are the biggest drivers of more severe harmful algal blooms. So right now, DWQ, along with Utah Lake Commission, are involved in a multi-year, multi-phase study trying to look at if we can uh, set a neat nutrient criteria in order to reduce nutrient input and reduce harmful algal blooms. Uh, so that's a panel of 60 members with different stakeholders um, really trying to make sure that nutrient criteria and nutrient reduction work for the local community. So it's not just a scientific board coming in decreeing, you know, this is what you need to do, go do it. And it's totally unachievable. Utah Lake is uh, beloved by many and used by many. So this committee of 60 people, and then we have 10 uh, top level decision makers that represent local interests as well, um, are really, really trying to do a holistic job um, looking at different sides of how we reduce nutrients in order to reduce harmful algal blooms in Utah Lake. Right now they're on phase two. 
Um, and I, I think they have several years left. Uh, and once they get past phase two, they'll move on to implementation, which will be a really exciting time. Additionally, uh, we're grateful for legislature funding that we got um, to explore the efficacy of different harmful algal bloom treatments. Uh, Last year, that included uh, copper algicide as pilot studies in different marinas within Utah Lake. Uh, so that included Linden, Lincoln, and the State Park Marina, which all saw um, pretty high magnitude harmful algal blooms last year. Right now, DWQ is in the middle of exploring uh, the efficacy of those treatments. And in this year and the years forward, we hope to also do the same to make sure that we're really targeting harmful algal blooms where it matters most. And for my program, that means recreators. Where are we keeping recreators safe um, in both the short term and the long term? So we look forward to that funding to try to explore, you know, how we manage, we can prevent harmful algal blooms uh, in both the short and long term from ever even starting through nutrient reduction. Uh, and then how we how we treat them once they inevitably do pop up. So with that, you know, that that multi-tier uh, approach and, and two-sided approach where we hope that algal blooms don't stand a chance to the science that we come up with, but we'll see how that uh, works out in the future. An uh, another uh, project that's been driven not by DWQ, uh, but we are now part of the uh, June Sucker Recovery Program is carp removal from Utah Lake. And I think one statistic I heard, maybe you have newer numbers than me, Sam, um, is we have, we've removed the equivalent of 100 blue whales um, in mass. From, I remember hearing from that the first time. I, a little I don't know how many blue, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many blue whales we're up to now, uh, but that's a lot of carp. Uh, and really the, the carp, carp removal was originally driven um, to remove habitat stressors from that endangered June sucker fish. But we believe it probably has unintended but beneficial consequences for our HAP program. The carp were in the sediment stirring up nutrients that might not other be might not otherwise be stirred up. Um, and so with the removal, there's less mixing that goes on in Utah Lake, less of that nutrient uh, availability that uh, that harmful algal blooms will most definitely take advantage of. So those are some great projects and I appreciate you highlighting those, Kate. Those are some ones that a lot of people ask questions about and there's definitely more information on the Utah Lake Commission website, utahlakecommission.org, where you can learn about carp removal, you can learn about the water quality study and there's also a link specifically for that that will include, let's see if I can recite it properly from memory. I think it's utahlake.deq.utah.gov. Probably going to get that right. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but that's about the water quality study specifically. Um, and then as Kate mentioned, that funding from the legislature is great to have that support again in order to try and look into additional solutions. Um, another project I wanted to make sure I mentioned briefly, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, is Phragmites removal and in general shoreline restoration. And not a lot of people realize the impacts that that can have on nutrient inflows at the lake. Um, for example, the Provo River Delta project, uh, which is going on right now, uh, is restoring uh, a 200 plus acre delta that used to be there before the area was settled and the river was channelized. Well, that delta will reintroduce vegetation and the delta itself, which I haven't heard numbers myself yet, I have to look it up. Maybe we can include this in a future delta episode, uh, but that will help with nutrient uptake before it gets to the lake versus right now it comes straight down the channel. 
Same thing with removing Phragmites. There are some, obviously some, some losses probably because Phragmites are a plant that can take up nutrients. Um, so that might expose the shoreline, but the county and Utah Lake Commission are working on restoring that shoreline with proper native vegetation that will also accomplish that same effect of reducing the amount of inflow uh, of nutrients to the lake as well. So there's Phragmites removal uh, going on every year that has an impact on that. And there will be, <clears throat> there is some additional funding that was allocated from the legislature as well. So a thank you to them for that this year too. Um, so it'll be exciting to see what the end of 2021 looks like. I know everybody at the end of 2020 was like, let's just finish this year. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> Personally, I'm excited for 2021. Yeah. There's a lot of great things happening. And as Kate highlighted, a lot of great work is being done to address algae blooms. So to those listening, we hope that you've learned something about algae blooms. And if not, you heard us say it. And I'm going to say it one more time. Habs.utah.gov, H-A-B-S.utah.gov is a great resource to learn about the monitoring that's going on, the responses to the issues, and what can be done to try and take care of the lake. So, Kate, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you coming on to help us out. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to the legislature for continuous funding that we now have for the HABS program so that we can keep recreators of Utah Lake and all of the reservoirs that are high recreation and so beautiful around the state safe. Thanks for listening to Utah Lake Facts, Fiction, and Fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time an episode comes out on Thursday mornings. And if there's something in here that you feel you can share, please post the link online, share with your friends so that everyone else can also learn about the facts, fiction, and fun to do with Utah Lake.